Bhagavad Gita, second chapter, eighth verse. It talks about a one of those pivot points in life. You know, we all get to these points where we're uh, we're at a, at a crossroads. You know, you can call it an epiphany or whatever. You have a miracle in your life. I don't know. I don't know which page it is. I think our books might be a little different. Two eight. Two eight. Seventy six. I'm sorry, it's two seven. Why was that thinking eight? Two seven. Yeah, it's two seven. So I'll read the Sanskrit and then uh, we'll read the the translation in Srila Prabhupada's purport and then we'll speak on it. And if you have a question, this isn't a lecture, okay? So let's let's have a discussion. So at any time that you have something to say or a question, feel free and you know, stop at once. Get my attention, throw something at me if you have to. So this is second chapter, seventh verse. Karpanya dosho patasvabhavaha prichami twam dharma samud chetaha yatstreya sham nishchitan bruitan me sis yasteham shari mam twam prapanam. Translation. This is Arjuna speaking. Arjuna is uh, a friend of Krishna. Oh, Hare Krishna. Arjuna is a friend of Krishna. And uh, he's asking very wonderful, perfect questions. And Krishna, being the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is giving really perfect answers. So, after this discussion and looking at the battlefield, Arjuna becomes a little bewildered. He's a warrior and he's about to fight. And he doesn't want to, to. He says to Krishna, Now I am confused about my duty and have lost all composure because of miserly weakness. In this condition, I am asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. Now, I am your disciple, and a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. So, uh, what did I say? And you can read it. You can repeat. Now I am confused about my duty. Now I am confused about my duty. And have lost all composure because of miserly weakness. And have lost all composure because of miserly weakness. In this condition, I am asking you. In this condition, I am asking you. To tell me for certain. To tell me for certain. What is best for me. What is best for me. Now I am your disciple. Now I am your disciple. And a soul surrendered unto you. And a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. Please instruct me purport by Srila Prabhupada. By nature's own way, the complete system of material activities is a source of perplexity for everyone. In every step there is perplexity, and therefore it behooves one to approach a bona fide spiritual master who can give one proper guidance for executing the purpose of life. All Vedic literatures advise us to approach a bona fide spiritual master to get free from the perplexities of life. <clears throat> which happen without our desire. They're just like a forest fire that sometimes blazes without being set by anyone. Similarly, the world situation is such that perplexities of life automatically appear. 
without our wanting such confusion. No one wants fire, and yet it takes place, and we become perplexed. The Vedic wisdom therefore advises that in order to solve the perplexities of life and to understand the science of the solution, one must approach a bona fide master, a bona fide spiritual master, who is in the disciplic succession. A person with a bona fide spiritual master is supposed to know everything. One should not, therefore, remain in material perplexities, but should approach a spiritual master that is in the purport of uh, that is the purport of this verse. So I'm going to pause on this first uh, chapter here. What Sri Prabhupada is talking about, uh, it's just like sometimes uh, uh, in the mountains, in the forest, you know, there can be a storm and lightning can strike and it starts a forest fire. You know, sometimes in India when it's really dry, in the dry season, uh, the wind blowing makes the bamboo move back and forth and as it rubs, it can actually start fire. So nobody wants a fire. Nobody was nobody wants the forest to burn down. You know, the forest rangers didn't say, What do you say we burn that section over there down today, you know? It just it just happens, see. So uh, uh, perplexities happen in our life. We find ourselves in situations that uh, uh, due to uh, something other than our own efforts, we're in. We're just in a bad situation. You see, uh, uh, there's the the uh, 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 I can't remember the Sanskrit Sanskrit word right now. Um, uh, no, klesha. You know that word klesha. A klesha is a difficulty, a danger, or trouble. You know, there's the uh, there are three different kleshas or suffering, miseries, the threefold miseries of the material world. You know, one of these is the uh, um, what is Adi uh, Adi Divaka Adi Divaka Klesh and that's the something what we, what we refer to as the acts of God you see a tsunami tsunami happens and many people are distressed and many people die and we say well that was an act of God uh, it could be a drought a flood uh, like that, things that happen uh, from nature, from the demigods. The demigods make it rain too much or not rain enough, you see. So there's the uh, troubles or miseries caused by, uh, let's say, the demigods, the supernatural, out of the control of man. And then there's uh, Adi Bodhika Klesh. Adi Bodhika Klesh means uh, it's the Klesha or the, the suffering, the misery caused by other living entities. It's mosquitoes, snakes, scorpions, ants, people. <laughs> you know, we, we see that in traffic. We're experiencing it in traffic. <laughs> you know, I could go where I could go where I want to and get there on time if it wasn't for all these people in my way. You see, so we didn't want a crowd on the freeway, but it's there. You see, so there's a perplexity there. We didn't plan on it. And then there's the uh, adhyatmika klesh. Um, this is the most common misery that we suffer. Okay, we've got miseries caused by acts of God, 
miseries caused by other living entities. And now the most common that we suffer is adyatmika klesh. Does anybody know what this is? Miseries caused by the mind. Caused by the mind. Exactly. I perceive it's bad. You see? I, I perceive that it's bad. It's just like uh, uh, the Congress uh, and the hand-in-hand uh, hand with the news media had us all, some of us, not, not the devotees, <laughs> you know, had us all upset about the, the fiscal cliff. Hey, what's going to happen? You know. So uh, many people were suffering in their mind. In 1929, when the bottom fell out of the... Uh, the stock market, some people perceive that now life is over. My stock has gone down and it's, it's worthless. I've lost my money, so they jumped out of the buildings and committed suicide, you see. Uh, their family was still there. Their wife still loved them. The children still loved them. They still had, you know, they, could, they still had whatever it took to keep body and soul together. They could still go to church, you see. They're still living in America. But they perceive, oh, life is over. So, they, so their mind talked them into jumping out of a building, you see. So the suffering from the mind. So Arjuna's talking here. He says to Krishna that, uh, that he's confused about his duty. And you read exactly what he's saying here. He, and he's losing composure because of his miserly weakness. His miserly weakness was that he didn't want to be a soldier. He didn't want to fight. He didn't want to do his duty and, and, and kill people. Especially these, these are people on the other side that he knew. He knew these people, you see. So in his mind, I'm suffering. He's feeling very weak, you see. As Krishna explains to him later on the purpose of this war, and we may think, oh, there's never a good reason for war. Well, sometimes there is. Sometimes there are demonic forces that have to be uh, uh, taken out, you see. Sometimes there are. Now, sometimes people say, well, that guy's a demon, and really we just disagree politically. So I make you look like a demon, and I even say that maybe you have weapons of mass destruction, and I'm, so therefore let's go kill him. You see, I mean, there's, so there's many cheating things that happen. We don't know. Maybe there were weapons mass destruction. Well, maybe there weren't. We don't know. We're caught up in these political things. But there are times when there are demonic forces that really need to be chastised. You see, so the duty of the warrior is to chastise the enemy and to pr protect everyone else. You see, sometimes force is necessary in this material world. Because it's not a perfect world. It's the material world and it has so many flaws. So sometimes force is necessary to maintain protection for the rest of us. You know, I'm not a warrior. You know, you're not a fighter. You don't want to you don't want to take up a sword or a gun and go into battle. You see? So we have people that we pay to do this in case they're needed. We have an army. We have people to do this for us. And Arjuna was part of it. That was his, his career. That's what he was. But he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to hide from it because he wanted to enjoy the association of the people on the other side. You see, So 
That's why he says, due to my miserly weakness. So he's perceiving this misery. He goes on to tell Krishna, in this condition, I am asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. That's what Srila Prabhupada is saying here that we need in this chapter, Prabhupada, in this uh, purport, this, uh, in the paragraph here, Prabhupada is saying that we need a bona fide spiritual master. You see? Now, if you, if you have a business, uh, you know, uh, any businessman that has uh, uh, an active business, he's going to need an accountant. You know, that's just, that's common knowledge. Now, sometimes people think, you know what, I'm really good with math and I know how to use a calculator. And so, I can do that myself. You know? And then they find out that they're losing a lot of money in taxes because they don't know the tax laws. And they don't know how to do this and how to do that. So they ultimately go and they have to approach an accountant. You see? Sometimes we need legal advice. So we approach a lawyer. You know? It's just like uh, we could defend ourselves, but what is it that Mark Twain was quoted? Uh, Mark Twain was quoted as saying that uh, anyone that represents himself in a court of law has a fool for a client. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's silly to do. We need higher authority. You see, uh, if you have some uh, real bad sickness, you have to approach a physician who's trained and he knows how to deliver you from this condition that you're in. You see? Why would spiritual life be any different? It's more important than my health, my wealth, staying out of jail, my spiritual life. Because if I don't get my spiritual life adjusted and taken care of, then what's my destiny at the time of death? Now, I'm not going to say, well, you're going to burn in hell or you're going to do this. We don't know. Your destination is unknown. You don't know. You don't have a clue. At the time of death. One thing is certain that if you try to uh, do it yourself, you know, it's like, you know, there's Home Depot for people who want to do it yourself. You know, we should, we should probably have a, a Liberation Depot for people who want to go and do it, their, you know, get Liberation do it themselves, you know. So many people think, I can just pull this out of my sleeve. I'm so brilliant. Well, I can make it up. I can make it up, you know, on how to become liberated from this material world. <laughs> now, what gives me the qualification? What is my qualification, you see? If I went to law school, then I could say, well, my, my qualification is I'm, I'm an attorney. I'm a member of the bar. You know, I'm a practicing attorney. So, or a physician, or an accountant, whatever. So, therefore, if one is interested in leaving this material world at the time of death, getting out of the cycle of birth, death, disease, and old age, repeated again and again and again, and the cycle of, of transmigration of the soul, or reincarnation, whichever term you prefer. Uh, some people don't believe in reincarnation, but they believe in transmigration of the soul. They're, they're the same, but some people like that term better, you know. Some people don't like the term reincarnation. But they, they embrace the term transmigration of the soul. Same, same. So if you want to quit this repeated birth and death, 
uh, going around and around in this world of karma. Uh, accepting this and accepting that, suffering this and suffering that. Then we have to figure out a way to stop it. At the time of death, we need to stop it so that we can be liberated. We stop the cycle, the repetitive cycle. So to do that, this isn't something that you just kind of sit down and kind of think up, you know. This is, this is the big leagues. This is your soul. This is your destiny. Uh, it's much more important than uh, your financial well-being. It's much more important than uh, anything else. This is the most important. This is the reason that we have a human body. We have a human body so that we can figure out how to stop this repeated cycle, birth and death, to get off the merry-go-round. The animals don't have the opportunity that we do. They can't sit and meditate. They can't seek out. You know, it's like a, a squirrel can't go to a, a guru squirrel and say, you know, please direct me. Please direct me on how I don't have to take a squirrel's body again, you know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so sick and tired of eating nuts. Oh, boy. You know, I want out of this. There's no, there's no re re release for the animals. You know, the, and the animals will go around and again, and they'll transmigrate up the ladder until they get a human body through 8,400,000 species of life. It's actually 8, 8 million. There are 400,000 species of human. Out of the 8,400,000 species, there are 400,000 species of human. No, not our universe. Yeah. So that, you know, in other words, the, the, the Vedas say that there's life all over, everywhere. There are 400,000 species of, of human. There aren't 400,000 species of humanoid present on this planet. So we know, therefore, there are so many thousands of, uh, hundreds of thousands of of uh, humanoid species on other planets and other worlds in this cosmic manifestation, you see. So once one gains one of these 400,000 species of human life, you have a brain that has a bigger capacity, you see. The only difference between us and a squirrel, uh, I mean, I like nuts just as much as a squirrel does, I guess. You know? I eat them every day for my health. But the difference between me and the squirrel, basically and really, is I can ask questions that he can't. You see? He's just looking for some food. He's looking for a place to sleep. He's looking for someone to mate with. And then he has to defend. If he finds a nice hole in a tree and he stores some nuts in there, and he finds another sweet squirrel that he can mate with and have little squirrel off, off, uh, offspring, well, then he's got to defend it, because some other squirrel's going to want that, you know. So he's got to be ready to defend. Yeah. It's like that in human life, too, isn't it? A little more sophisticated. We don't hide our nuts in a tree. You know, we, we, we put our money in a bank. You know, we have a house instead of a hole in a tree. Uh, but we have to defend it. We have to defend our family, you see. So eating, sleeping, mating, and defending are the activities of those who are in the material world. But the human body has a brain that has uh, the ability to ask the question, what the heck is going on? 
The squirrel never asked that. He's just eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, you see. He's got to store up enough nuts to make it through the winter, you see. So that's his business. He doesn't have the capacity to say, what the heck is going on? What am I? What is this world? What, how do I relate with this place? What am I doing here? What's the purpose of me being here? <clears throat> and, it, and am I really a part of this world? And if I'm not, how do I get out of here? You see, we can, we can analyze our situation and we can see, you know, really, this isn't as great as I always thought it was. Eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. You know, there's got to be more. Now, to some living entities, they, they'll say, well, uh, we don't really think there is more. You know, it's just, it, that's all there is, just eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. And that's okay that they have that. It's lower consciousness. You can see that this is, some people don't have a brain developed to where they can get into this uh, thought of, who am I? What am I? Is there a God? If so, what's that God like? And what does that God want? You see? What is my relationship with this Supreme Person? What's that Supreme Person like? Is he like a light? Is he like a fog? Is he an energy like electricity? Is he a person? You see, we can ponder these things. It's just like this morning in Srimad Bhagavatam class. You see, we were using our brains as human beings, we were pondering some deep questions, you know. And when a human being does that, we become enlivened, don't we? It's enlivening. We're using this brain. And you start to realize, hey, wow, this thing works. You know, it's like when you get a new phone that does all kinds of far-out things, and you, you realize what it can do, you go, whoa, this is really great, you know. My phone will lead Kirtan and it'll do all kinds of things. You know? So when you start to use this brain to really ponder deep subjects like this, you think, wow, this brain of mine works. Hey, I'm impressed. So then if that's true, then perhaps, you see, so the humans do like this. Uh, to the human being, uh, to those who have more advanced uh, to the human being who is advanced further away from the animalistic uh, tendencies. This is a treat, you know, to be able to sit and uh, gather with people and to get into discussions like this, you see. Now that, it, it's fun to speculate, but it's a lot more fun to be given the truth. You see, people like to speculate. But the ones who, that have even more advanced brains, they want the truth. You know, you and I can sit and say, you know what, I think it's like this. And you can say, well, I, I think you're true and I also think it's like this. And what's the value of it? You know, if you go to an attorney because they're trying to put you in jail for something and he's speculating, well, I think the law might be like this. You're going to say, hey, well, hold it, buddy. I don't think I want you to defend me. I want somebody who knows. You know, if you have an accountant that says, well, you know, I, I think that the tax law might let you to, you know, 
whoa, wait. You know, even your mechanic, somebody works on your car, even something as menial as that, you take your <clears throat> your car to a mechanic, and he says, well, you know what? I I think that it could be maybe. What people say, I think, maybe, could be, da, da, da. that's speculation. You don't want like, speculation. Seems like most mechanics do do that. Yeah. <laughs> Once in a while, you'll meet one that'll say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. You got What we have to do is to change the muffler bearings. You know? <laughs> There's no such thing as muffler bearings. Yeah. <laughs> we don't all know that, though. He'll tell you. <laughs> wow, we're going to have to... We're gonna to have to change the muffler bearings and put nitrogen in the tires and you know, whatever. Whatever you'll give me money for. And then the, the cheating takes over. But you see where my point is if if it's this important in something like taking care of your car, taking care of your finances, taking care of your your legal situation and so on, your health, you go to your doctor and he says, Oh I don't know, but let me see, hmm, it could be you know, that's not good. That's not very comforting. You want the doctor, you know, to, to if you go to an Ayurvedic doctor, the, do, the Ayurvedic doctor takes your pulse, if he's really good, he takes your pulse, and then he tells you the symptoms that you're having. It's different from the Western. The Western is, is very difficult. They're not as expert. Western medicine is very good for some things, but... Uh, the Ayurvedic doctor, you don't go in and say, Doc, I've got this pain in the moon. You, know, you just go in and he says, Oh, very good. You know, let me have so He takes your pulse. He says, Oh, you're having this and this and this and blah, 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 blah. And he tells you what's wrong with you. And he gives you some herbs to fix it. You see. You know. Now, uh, if it's progressed too far, then you might need a surgeon that might have to do something like that. You see. But it's, uh, it's good. You want a diagnosis, you want someone to tell you. This is what the problem is. So now that we have a diagnosis, now we know how to fix it. You see? So if all these mundane things are important not to have a speculator, why in the heck would we ever listen to someone speculate about our spiritual destiny? It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. If, if I'm going to get spiritual uh, <clears throat> information or spiritual recommendation, I want it to be from somebody who knows. And I want to know, how do you know? Where'd you get this? It's just like you may say to, a, to a, uh, an attorney, where did you go to law school? You know, he may have the... Uh, his diploma hanging on his wall. He went to Harvard Law. You think, oh, this guy probably knows his stuff, you see. So, when you approach Guru, you may want to know, who is your Guru? What, are, what is your qualification? That's, that's legitimate. So, you know. So, how do you know? You see. Are you saying that you know because you're from a school of speculators? So, I learned from you. You're a speculator. I learned from you. Now, I tell you that I know. I'm telling you, it's not speculating. So I'm cheating you. Even if I don't intend to cheat you, I learned from him, he speculates. Now I'm telling you it's the absolute truth. And then you're making your spiritual plans based on 
his speculation that I told you is the truth. You see. So, what Prabhupada is saying in this first paragraph is you need to approach a bona fide guru who learned from a bona fide guru, who learned from a bona fide guru, a disciplic succession. You see. In other words, somebody that it's like uh, uh, you see in the, the Olympics how they have that uh, torch and the runners pass the torch. Do they still do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they'll start out one runner, he runs so far, and then he passes the torch to someone else, and he takes it another distance and passes it to someone else. They, nobody changes the torch. The torch is exactly the same when it reaches the end as it was when it started in the beginning, you see. Now that's what we want. We want information directly from the mouth of the Supreme Godhead that nobody is tampered with. In other words, I want my guru to not have his own opinion. I don't care what his opinion, I don't want him. If he has an opinion, he, he's disqualified as guru. The, the opinion that he espouses should be the opinion of his guru. And his guru's opinion is the opinion of his guru. And it goes back, the baton has been passed from uh, guru to guru through the disciplic succession. So now I'm getting what I want. And the only thing that's acceptable, the absolute truth, you see. So when I, when I get into a situation like that, then I can say, as Arjuna does, I can, when I find the bona fide guru, someone who's who has the bona fide information, then I can say, oh, I'm asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. Now that I see that you're bona fide, I want you to tell me what's best for me. I don't know. Don't tell everybody. I've got all my friends confused that I know. You know, I mean, I walk around telling them, oh, I know. Just between me and you. I need to learn. I feel uncertain about God. I need to learn about God. Please instruct me. Please direct me, you see. Now I am your disciple, and a soul surrendered unto you. This is a, a, a life-changing event. This is a pivot point in life. It's the most important uh, uh, pivot point that we'll come to when we make this spiritual decision that we are going to give over uh, uh, our decision-making process to someone else. Boy, that sounds hard, doesn't it? I don't want to do that, do you? I mean, I want to, I want to do it myself. But I'm smart enough to know that I can't do it. I know that I can't do it by myself. So I, I, I need my guru. I need, I need his mercy. I need his knowledge. I want to be connected. Because he's connected. And when I connect to him, I connect to the Supreme Lord. You see? And then when you do that, you become eligible to be guru. It works like that. It's not like it stops, you know. There's a line of gurus coming from Krishna. Guru, 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 guru. Stop. It doesn't. If you get the absolute truth, then you have a duty 
to distribute the absolute truth without changing it. You tell the people you love the truth. They may say, oh, you're foolish, you're wrong. That's okay. I just wanted to tell you. But some people are going to say, wow, that is, that is the truth. You see, can I learn from you? Can I be your disciple? Will you instruct me? And as long as you tell them the truth that was coming from your guru and from the disciplic succession all the way back to the Supreme, to the Source, Krishna, then you are as good <coughs> as God. Now, you can't do miracles, and you know. But as far as teaching, because you're saying God's words, you're not changing it, you're not adding your own opinion. You see? We don't want to add any... We don't want to change anything. It doesn't need to be changed. See? It's perfect. The words of God, the process of breaking this cycle of birth and death, is perfect. It's delineated in Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. It's told how to do it. It's perfect. It works. We can see it work. And if we, as we say so many times, you don't have to wait until you die to feel this liberation. It's a big difference that we're talking about. I don't know. Uh, I, I've had some experience with many different uh, faiths. And I, I, there, there are, are so many bona fide faiths, so many bona fide paths in this material world, you see. But um, you just don't find any that I know of that say that, well, you'll know before you die. I say, when do you die? You know, see, when you die, when you die, you'll either go here or there, or this will happen, or that'll happen, or, you know, the Buddhists feel like if, when you die, the lights go out and you're in nirvana. Does anybody know what nirvana is? Have you heard that term? It's used a lot, and a lot of people misuse it. Have you heard that? Sort of like heaven? Yeah. That's what we think it means. It's a Sanskrit word. You know. It comes from Sanskrit. This is all Sanskrit that I was quoting. It comes from India. Uh, Buddha took his appearance in India. You see. So, and there was a reason why he, he, he took his appearance there. He had a mission, which we'll discuss. That's a, another topic. He's, he's Krishna. Krishna appeared as Lord Buddha. And he had a purpose. But... Um, Nirvana means, if you translate that word nirvana into English, it means nothing. Void. Zip. Nada. Nothing. So, to go to, to uh, nirvana is to go to a place where there ain't nothing. Nothing. Void. You see and the philosophy is that if you can get away from everything and get where there is nothing, then you can achieve shanti. Shanti is a Sanskrit word for peace. Now I'm peaceful because I'm away from everything that, that bothered me, you see. All the perplexities of life, you see. But you can't achieve, uh, you can't go to nirvana until you die. 
you can't experience nirvana. Now, what are we peddling here? What's, what's our... We're trying to get you to, instead of going to nothing, which there is nothing, there is nirvana, and you can go there if you want to. You can't be totally away from God, though. There isn't. Now, there is a conception of nothing, but there is no such thing as nothingness. Because Krishna is everywhere. Everything is God's energy. You know, we can't get away from Him, so it's not possible. But there is something like uh, nirvana, like nothing. You see, but we're saying if you if you uh, if you want nothing, that's one thing. But if you want something, what's the best something to have? What's the best something? Yeah, everything. Okay. What what contains everything? What is the sum total? In other words, uh, many people work so hard for wealth. I want money. Why? Yeah, I want everything, but why do I want that? You know, does Bill Gates live in a uh, gigantic fifty thousand square foot house with all this money all by himself? I mean, if money would make you happy, he could take his and pile it up and, you know, make a, a slide out of it, you know, and play it. He could wallow and roll around in it. And, I don't need anybody. I have it all, you see. I have servants. And I could even tell the servants, I'm so rich, I'm going to pay you all, every one of you, and pay you $250,000 a year. You know, but here's what you do. You serve me, but I don't want to ever see you. I want my stuff to be there when I want it. You know? I want to be completely alone with my wealth and my stuff. You know, I've got the best stereo and I've got great cars and clothes like you wouldn't believe. You see, custom made Rolexes. I've got my stuff. Do you think he would want that? Do you think anybody would want to be alone with their stuff? So nobody really wants to be alone, right? So nirvana is not attractive, is it? Why? Because I want to be with you. I want to share something with you. That's what we do. When we get something, we share it. When you go on vacation, and you go all by yourself, it's not as fun as if you take somebody you love and you share the experience. We don't want nirvana. We don't want nothing. We want love. <laughs> we want love. I mean, let's cut to the chase and be honest. If we really look deep in our soul, we want love. We feel most of us, practically everybody in the material world that's in material consciousness, feels unloved, or at least underloved. I'm not getting my share. I, I want more. I want more love. I want love in my life. So therefore, if I get a better education, uh, and if I get uh, a better uh, material situation, then I can attract someone to share that with, you see. And they can understand uh, 
they can understand my situation, that I can protect them, and that I can give them a very good life, and they'll love me. You see? Because I'm worthy of love. I make, I'll make a good father. We can have offspring. I can send them to the best colleges. I've got all kinds of money. I'll take care of your health. I'll give you diamonds. I'm a good guy to love. I'll buy you Mercedes. One for every day of the week. One for every day of the year. I'm a really good guy to love. You see. Now, I'm being a little... I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it's kind of like that, isn't it? I want to get ahead in life because I want to enjoy the stuff, but I want people with me to enjoy the stuff with. You see, I want a great house on the uh, on the fairway of a uh, country club, you know, on a golf course with a big pool out back. But man, I want people there with me. You know, Elvis Presley used to pay people just to be with him. I don't know if you know much of the story about Elvis, but. He paid people just, just to hang around and enjoy his stuff with him. You know. I mean, you know, it's just uh, uh, if we stop and think about it, that's what we're all about. We're motivated by sharing love. We want to share love. Now, we don't need stuff to have love, uh, but we feel that way, and, and maybe other people may feel like, well, you've got to have stuff for me to love you. You know, in this material world, it kind of works like that. You know, I want from you what I can get, uh, and, I, and I want to, to feel like, uh, if, if I'm looking for a mate, then I want to feel like you're, you can deliver me offspring, or I want to feel like, you know, you can give me protection and what wealth, and, you know, like that. So there is that element. Uh, but none of this is true, you know, and this is all material love, and it's all temporary. So the real love is to share a loving relationship with God. He's the supreme, so he's the supreme lover. Nobody can love like he can. He's the best, by far. Nobody can compete, you see. So the real treat, the real uh, brass ring to grab in life is to establish a love affair, a loving relationship with the Supreme Lord. It's very simple, you see. Uh, you don't have to wait till you're dead to get that or to tell if you have it, you see. This is, this is called bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga means that I perform loving devotional service to the Supreme Lord. And my objective is to fall in love with Him, to have a supreme love affair with a supreme lovable object, God. A supreme loving exchange. And I want it today. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to wait 10 years. 50 years, I don't want to wait till I'm dead. I want it now. Now that I've established what's the what's the biggest treat to have of everything, better than having millions of dollars, uh, better than having diamonds and whatever, wealth, fame, better than being the most famous, better than being um, uh, 
the most talented, the most beautiful. Better than all that, if I had a love affair with the Supreme Lord, there is nothing, there's not a thrill out there that can equal that. Is, is, there, is there anything better than that? So if that's it, if that's the best thing that you can get, I want it. And the reason why I have the audacity to want it is because my guru tells me, you can have it. And not only that, but it's your nature to have it. In other words, the only thing that's keeping you from having the supreme love affair with the supreme lovable object, Krishna, is you. That's the only thing. Because we're in this material world and we're confused. And we think we want other things. You see? I, I forget that I want the supreme, uh, the supreme love. So I settle for not so supreme love. I forget that there is supreme love available. You see. Now, once you achieve this love of Godhead, or even uh, even get started along your way, you get some success at, at learning how to love God. If you can establish a loving relationship with God, then you can be the most fabulous lover to all living entities. You see, you learn how to love on a supreme level. You see, which makes you a great uh, uh, a great deal better lover than a materialist. The materialist doesn't really know how to love. The materialist knows how to trade, barter. You give me, and I give you. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You know? There's always the unwritten contract that when... when uh, uh, it's conditional? Yeah, that's it. That's the word I was... It's, it's conditional. Even if people don't discuss the conditions, a lot of times they do. You know? I want you to be... You know, let you and I get married, but I want it, I want you to take a shower at least once a day, brush your teeth. Uh, I want you to, you know, wash your hair, change your clothes. You know, <coughs> so I mean, there's things that we don't. We may not say that to people, but I mean, we kind of expect it. We do have conditions, you know. I mean, I'm not saying that conditions are bad, but sometimes they're, you know, they are. You know, I want to be a Republican. You know, or I want you to be a Democrat. You know, I, I want this or I want that. I'm, I'm going to make this demand on you. And if you meet my requests, then I will love you. Okay, now what do you want from me? Isn't it kind of like that in the material world? You know, it, it's it's on a it, it's um, uh, on a much more subtle level in its uh, execution, but it's it's still there. You know, if, if I can, uh, I'm going to love you because I get something from you, you see. Now, true love, spiritual love, is, is completely different. It doesn't depend on getting anything, you see. Because uh, we as living entities, we are not the enjoyers of love. 
you see. We are the lover. It's, we're not the enjoyer. We're the enjoyed. That's our position as living entities. That's the reason for our existence. Why does Krishna need any of us? Why does he want any of us? We're here for his pleasure. It's pleasure to have people around, to exchange love with, you see. So, uh, when we put ourselves in the position of the enjoyed, rather the enjoyer, we enjoy. When we please him, when we make him happy, we feel wonderful, you see. It's a little upside down from the materialistic thoughts that we have. But it also works with people that we know, people that we associate with. Boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, friends. If you can be the object of their enjoyment, you will enjoy much, much higher. If you please, you see. The difficulty we have in this material world is everyone, most for the most part, wants to be the enjoyer. I want you to please me. I'm going to please you a little bit, but I want, you see. What if there is a situation where someone says, well, I love you. I love you. And you say, well, I don't love you. And I say, well, that's not a condition. You don't have to. I can love you if I want to. I love you because you're you, you know? Well, is it because I'm pretty? Is it because I can sing real nice? Is it because I can play the guitar? You know, is it because I have a lot of money? I'm very witty? It's none of those things, you know? It's you, you know? I don't know how I could not love you. So there's no condition. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to reciprocate in some way. Because I get great pleasure from loving you. It's my right. You're uh, a living entity just like myself. We're eternal living entities. We are, I love this term, we are soulmates. You know, you hear people talk about that. You know, I think I found my soulmate. You can't look anywhere without seeing a soulmate of yours. We're all soulmates. We are eternal living entities. There's never a time that we haven't existed. We've all been together for eternity. That's a really long time, you know. I mean, that's like no beginning. There's no beginning to our association. So for the last, let's say, 100 billion years, 150 billion years, we've been in this material world. Now, 150 billion years compared to the scope of eternity is not even a nanosecond. It's not even a blink of an eye, it's not a heartbeat, you can't even measure it. So, it's so quick, you see. So, for less than a blink of an eye, you and I have come to this material world and we're trying to enjoy separate from, from Krishna. And I'm trying to exploit the material energy, I'm trying to exploit the living entities to get some enjoyment on my own. I want to be the enjoyer, not the enjoyed, and I want to see what that's like. So, for this blink of an eye, 
I've forgotten that I know you, and that I know you, and that I know Krishna. I've forgotten what real true love is. But it's got to be there also. All of us wouldn't be chasing it like we are. You see. We can tell it's not really there in the material scope. Some people really want to believe that it is, but it just sadly isn't. Material. You can only find true love on the spiritual level. You see. There's spiritual love, and then there's imitation. And it's not really, it's not really love. You see. That's just going back to we've been in the material world for millions of years. Um, yeah. So. I, I was told that like an ant, when you're in an animal form, it's, it's like a punishment, basically. In a sense, it's a punishment. Because you don't have the opportunity to... Is that is that a good way to understand it? Because, I mean, it seems like you're, there are so many other varieties kind of, like of species. It, it, you could say that, yeah. I mean, it's not really... Um, it's a reaction, you see. Uh, one difference between... Our philosophy and, and uh, other philosophies in the world, uh, we don't see God as the great punisher. You know, some people ask me, well, what's the difference between your God and the God of the Old Testament? And I say, it's the same. He's the same one. He's just, Krishna's in a much better mood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all glories to Jehovah, all glories. But the way they paint him in the Bible, it just doesn't seem like somebody that you want to go jump in his lap, you know, throw your arms around him, see. So, uh, our conception of Krishna is not that he's not an angry guy, you know. He's not jealous, and it makes him actually absolutely uh, disgusted if you're afraid of him. How can you fear your source? It doesn't make sense. I mean, really, I mean, just use the, uh, use the thought process. Some people say, I'm a good God-fearing man. Why? God, God gave you your existence. How can you fear your Creator? You know, you were part and parcel of Him. You're His child, you see. So, we, we need to see Krishna as not someone that's here to punish. We have the law of karma in the material world, which is, in the Bible, the law, law of karma, karma is des, uh, described as, as you sow, so shall you reap. You do, you get. You know? So, if you do bad activities as a human being, you'll find yourself in, in uh, taking birth in a lower species. You know, you're not, um, you know, you're not in a house where it's, it's warm in the winter, you're outside and, and you're fending for yourself and, you know, you don't have, you're in that species. Now that's not a punishment. That's what you did to yourself. Why? Because that was your desire. If I have a desire to have, uh, if, if the main desire in my life is to experience sex life, well, the human body is not a very good body for that. It's just not. Now, people say, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? The human body is perfect for sex life. Well, no, it's not. 
you see. Because the senses of animals are far more developed than human beings. You know, an eagle can read the uh, headline on a newspaper a mile away. He can see better. The animals can see better, smell better, taste better, hear better. Their sensory perception is way above ours. Are we going to say that they don't enjoy sex as much as we do? Well, it's preposterous. You ever pet a cat? Has anybody ever pet a cat? What do they do when you, as soon as you touch them? Oh! You know, like, oh! Dog, you know, you scratch a dog, you know, on his neck. Scratch his neck. I mean, they feel. Now, if you did that to a person, they'd say, cut it out, will you? You know. <laughs> you know. I mean, you've got to know something about massage to make somebody say, oh, that feels good. But an animal, even a cat or a dog, you just touch them. And, oh, that's great. I'll give you two hours to stop that. You know, they love it. So I'll be, I'll be right. Hang, hang on to that. You see what I mean? So if sex life, and I'm just picking on sex life, if that's our main goal, well, human body's not so good. I mean, human body, there's, it's so complicated for a human, you know? You've got to make promises, you've got to take them to dinner, you've got to buy them a ring, you've got to get a room, you've got to <laughs> marry them. You know, if you're a pigeon, a pigeon doesn't have to take her to dinner. A pigeon can have sex once every 10 minutes, all day long. Now, I don't think even Hugh Hefner can do that. Definitely not anymore. You know, so the human body is a rotten body to have sex. If that's my true desire, then Krishna may say, hey, look, you know, if that's what you want, I'll give you a body where you can have sex all day. And you don't have the responsibility. If she gets pregnant, you're going to fly off to the next pigeon or dog or cat or whatever, you know. So whatever your main desire is, if it's other than escaping this material world, then you don't need a human body. So we'll give you a body that will allow you to work out your desire. There are 8,400,000 different uh, species of life, so there are 8,400,000 different desires that you can have. So Krishna will, he's not going to say, I'm angry because you have that desire. He's going to say, oh, you want that desire? I have a body that will accommodate that. And once you get there, in the body of a pigeon or whatever, a dog, then at death you take the next body up, and the next body up, and after that you transmigrate back to human body. You see? Let me, let me, let me, uh, hang on to that, don't forget. What was your question, Sean? I'm sorry to make you wait. Oh, no. Um, you know what, I'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you in private about it. Okay. It'd be beautiful that Sure. I charge Thank 60, you for I charge sixty dollars an hour and Yes. You were speaking about these these threefold miseries. Yeah. And I just recently read the story of the Marsley Brahmana who has all this wealth but still he's he's not using it the right way. He's like he's kinda of just I don't know, kinda of pissing people off. Yeah. 
and then he lost his family, you know, he was made homeless and whatever, he was like on his own. And then he was like on the receiving end of all this of all this misery. So he came to this realization that that actually the the reason he was was suffering wasn't because the same thing was happening. It was just he was on the other end of it. So it wasn't he had this realization that the, the misery was only because of his mind. So what to what extent are these these two other miseries caused by living entities, miseries caused by natural disturbances? To what extent are those actually caused by those? Is it just our is it actually those things causing our miseries or is it our perception of those things? It's your karma and your perception. You can have the karma to uh, be in a uh, an economic downturn or to be in any kind of a situation, material situation. So you've got the karma. Now you have the choice in how you deal with it. Mm. You see, you could feel like, oh man, uh, there's an economic downturn. I've lost all my money. Now I'm, I'm so unhappy. You see, I'm going to jump out of the building. Or you could say, now I'm free. Krishna has taken it all away. Now I can, <laughs> now I can just mm. go chant Hare Krishna. You see, Krishna smashed me. Wow, this is great. <laughs> uh, I would have never been able to get rid of it myself. <laughs> I would have never been able to renounce it, but he took it away. This is great. You see, so, yeah, you, first of all, uh, you have your karma, which comes from your desires. Your desires causes you to do certain activities. Your activities have reactions and you find yourself in a situation and then you have free will to decide how you're going to deal with that and how you'll react you know free will uh, Krishna gives us free will so that means I have the right God-given right to decide how my attitude is going to be it's mine it's God-given which means nobody can take it away you see. So if I decide that I'm going to be happy, then I can be happy. I can be pleasant. But I, but I need uh, some spiritual knowledge for me to be able to do that on a constant basis. You know, an atheist can say, well, I choose to be happy too. But it's not going to work for a lo very long time. You know, when we feel our love for Krishna growing, and the reciprocation from his love gets easier to feel happy, you know. It, so we can choose to be pleasant. We can choose to be happy, regardless. So we have free will, and it's easy for us to say, "Well, you know, hey, look, I'm feeling down and out." And if you were in my spot, you'd you'd feel the same way, you know. Well, not really. You know, but we like to say like that. We like to think, you know, I need your pity. And you see how I am? I'm suffering like everything. You know, I need I need some pity over here. So, if you were in my situation, you'd be in the same mood. Well, that's not true. Not necessarily. This is yours. You own it. it belongs to you. You know. So, um, you had free will to get yourself into the situation. Whether it's good or bad, 
You know, you got yourself there, and uh, now you have free will on how you deal with it. You know, whether you accept it as good, bad, or neutral. Does that make any sense? If if we if we think of ourselves as devotees of Krishna, eternal devotees, eternal servants of Krishna, and uh, and Krishna's servants, then this is a lot easier. You know, uh, this this you've got to accept this philosophy of bhakti yoga to enjoy like this, to enjoy like we do. You know, otherwise, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. Because it transcends the material nature. When you, when you declare yourself that you are a servant, eternal servant of God, you've, you've transcended the, the material nature. And if you start making your decisions based on that fact, now that, that means you no longer have a false ego. When you make that, when you, make, when you say, I am, and end that statement with anything other than an eternal servant of God, that's false ego. Because you're nothing other than that. Not an engineer, not a baseball player, not a race car driver, I'm not a I'm an eternal servant of God. So when you say that, you've transcended the uh, material consciousness. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. I've been thinking I shouldn't even come. I'm coming in so late, but I had office. Do you have a do. do you have a pass? You need to go to the hall monitor and yeah, get a pass. I know. I know. <laughs> That's what we need here. The hall monitor. <laughs> we could talk about that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have another question there? Yeah. Um, I guess because I have a kind of an issue with that, not an issue, but I just I don't understand um, with like the time, the time. I mean, I understand that time and material is nothing compared to eternity. At the same time, um, you're in a level of consciousness and you become, you take an animal's body. How come it's not just like you take the animal's body and then you go back to have the opportunity again? How come it's like you have to transmigrate through all these, these species? You could. Krishna might make that arrangement. You know. How come sometimes you you, you take what mean millions of bodies and like animal bodies and then go back to human? Oh, what was it? Jud Bharat, the story of Jud Bharat. He uh, was a sage. He was living in the forest, very renounced and very advanced sage. But he became attached to this little deer, and uh, you know, you know, up at uh, uh, the Dallas Temple. Back in the 80s, we had this farm up in uh, Oklahoma. Remember that? Some big waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we had this 1,500-acre farm up in Oklahoma. And uh, one hunting season, there was uh, some hunters chasing a deer, and they chased them onto our property. And uh, they, they just they 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 remember. Oh wait, we can't go on their property. You know. We'll, they might call the law or whatever. So they'd already scared the heck out of the deer, and the deer's running like everything, and it's running across in front of the temple we had 
uh, maybe 100 yards away, 75 yards. And the deer's about to deliver a baby. I mean, it's like, I'm running for my life, but i got to stop and deliver this baby. So she did. She stopped and, and delivered this little fawn. And she heard, you know, guns in the den, and she ran, ran away. So the devotees went out, and there's this little baby deer. And, uh, I mean, I could see how you could be attached, how Judd Barak could become attached. It's just, so, they're so wonderful. They're cute and sweet. And so we raised her. We had, uh, Tamal Krishna Maharaj named her Gandaki. And, uh, and she was like, uh, you know, like a little puppy dog. She'd follow you around. And <laughs> Not, not afraid of humans at all. She was just the sweetest. You'd be standing outside, you know, in the morning chanting, and she'd walk up and just stick her head up under your arm like this. So you, she wanted you to put your arm around her. So she'd go, you know. <laughs> I mean, you, you couldn't be around her without, she was going to make you pet her, you know. So it's like a cat or a dog, you know, some dogs are like that. So she was wonderful. So we could get, I could see how Judd Barat got attached, you know. So, uh, he got attached to this little deer, and uh, then one night there's a storm, and uh, he went out looking for the deer. It's dark, but there's a storm, and he fell off a cliff, and he died. But at the, at the time of death, he was thinking, instead of thinking about Krishna, he was thinking of the deer. So he came back in the body of the deer. But uh, ultimately, he was liberated. He regained his, his position. You know, so it's not, it depends on your consciousness. You know, if you don't, if you have the consciousness of an animal, you're simply concerned about eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, and that's really all. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying you're evil and you should be punished. You're only concerned about eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. That's really all you care about. Maybe there's a God, maybe not. So then at the time of death, Whatever your desire is, you get a body. If it's in the animal kingdom, you get a body that uh, will allow you to enjoy on the level that you want to enjoy. So then you then there's there is a progression of intelligence in animal life. And your next birth, you'll get another. The next promotion up, and then so on uh, until you get a human body again. And then you can make that work or waste it, you know, as you choose. Krishna gives you free will. I mean, he sends you opportunities. And he'll send, you know, he tries to save us, you know. Some people, there's a joke, you know, did you hear this, that joke about this guy that's sitting on the front porch of his, of his house and, uh, some people come by and say, hey, there's going to be a flood. There's going to be a big storm. We've got to get out of here. Come on. Come with us. Get in the car. And he said, no, no, no. I believe in God. God will save me. So they drove away. And then, sure enough, the water's getting kind of deep. And a guy comes by in a Jeep. And he says, hey, get in. Get in. There's going to be a flood. Come on. We'll save you. And he said, no, no. I believe in God. He'll save me. So then the water gets up to the porch. And a guy came by in a boat. And he said, get in. Get in. We'll save you. The water's coming, you know. He said, no, 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 God will save me. So they got to the point where the water gets so high, he's on the roof of his house. And a guy comes by in a helicopter. And he says, here, grab this line. We'll save you. And uh, he said, no, no, that's okay. I believe in God. He'll save me. And then so the water goes up and the guy drowns. 
And so then he goes to heaven. He says to God, look, I had faith in you. Why didn't you save me? And God says, what are you talking about? First I sent a car, then I sent a jeep, then I sent a boat, then I sent a helicopter. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we get opportunities to be saved. And we always have, you know, we've had so many opportunities in, in, all, in, in all the human forms we've had. There's been some way that we can elevate ourselves spiritually. So, I mean, like even you go into the jungle like the Amazon, they have some form of elevating themselves spiritually, even if it's just a little bit, you know, but it, at least they die in some spiritual consciousness that might help them in the next life. I'm not saying... I'm, that it'll liberate them, but it'll at least help them to maintain a, a human body and next life advance, and, and at least start to cultivate this some love for God. You see, so it's very independent and very individual. You know, your relationship with Krishna is very individual. There's a deep science to probably can't count the end Yeah, we we yeah we we. We can and we, and we can't, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to mention, uh, there's, in the material world, there's three modes of nature, the mode of ignorance, mode of passion, mode of goodness. Typically, if you go down to an animal species or to hell, you're in a mode of ignorance. You're, you're going downwards versus upwards, in overall, basically. You can't say specifically, you know, only like as a general trend. Uh, people in the mode of passion suppose you come back as humans, right? I mean, largely. Typically, in the mode of passion, if you quit your body in the mode of passion, you'll you'll uh, you'll stay here. Right, and then if you're in the mode of goodness, you're actually going towards God. Basically, I mean, well, the, in the, the, the heavenly planets. You know, you know we, So, it, and we can only describe it in a general way. Cause, okay. It's so individual. You know, it's just like. You know, there's innumerable snowflakes, and no two are the same. So we're the same way. We're we're all the same, but yet we're all very different, and we're individual. You know, we're in, we're we're different, but the same at the same time. So uh, we all have a personal relationship with Krishna. Also, you'll find some of the concepts expressed in the Bhagavad Gita in some of the later chapters. They talk about the modes and what happens as a result of the different modes of nature. Yeah. I mean, I guess my main thing was just the, the time factor. It's, I mean, it's hard for me to comprehend, obviously. Are you, you two are here for the first time, are you? Are you? Okay, I thought I'd seen you before. Uh, I've been here okay. before. Okay, all right. But you're, this is your first visit? We've got uh, this young lady and this young lady. This is our first visit. And you heard about us through some advertising? Uh, Tucson Weekly. I have to get going. I need to catch the bus. Oh, okay. So thank you for Well, thank you so much. Do you have, uh, uh, we should give her a book or something to take with her. Do you have any softback books or something? I hope you'll come back and see us. Can you yeah. come back Sunday? Um, I'm not sure about Sunday. Um, I'll try to come back at, like maybe every other Wednesday or something. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was nice to have you. And, uh, and you folks. You know, we have a, a nice Sunday program. You can come on Sunday, uh, singing and dancing. And you can dance if you want to. Or you don't. You don't have to. It's not required. Not required to sing. You can just listen if you want. But uh, we get together and just feel uh, 
this bhakti yoga process. We feel an exchange of love with Krishna. And as we're exchanging love with Krishna, you can't help but exchange love with everybody around you. I mean, you just can't. It, it happens that way, you know. So, and then we, we have uh, another discussion like this. Not as long. You won't have to endure me as long as you've had to tonight. And then uh, uh, a feast, a vegetarian feast. So that's Sunday starting at 5.30. You can come, that'd be really sweet. And every Wednesday night we do this. And Friday night we have uh, another class similar to this. So we're doing stuff like this all the time. Her, her son's a devotee. Yeah? Yeah. So back to Steve. Really? Steve, yeah. From Austin? He's in Dallas right now. Is he? He's a nice guy. Yeah. You did well with that kid. Thank you. Yeah. You just try and try. He was going to Alaska. Yes, they held him back because it's too cold and uh, yeah. they told him to wait a couple of months, but he's very excited. Well, I had toured through Alaska, so uh, Adwaita Charya down in San Antonio uh, called me and said, hey, you know, this, uh, you, you know Alaska, and Steve's going to go to Alaska, and I said, no, he's not. He said, yeah, well, yeah, he is. I said, no, he's not. Not this time of year. You don't go to Alaska. And... Yeah, because everybody's leaving at this time oh, of yeah. year. Oh, yeah, September is the exodus, you know. See, Alaska is a, is a state two and a half times the size of Texas. It only has 600,000 people, which is about the population of Fort Worth, you know, for the whole state. I mean, there's nothing up there. But in the summertime, people go. In April, people start to go in May. And then uh, it's weather's well, very nice. But then uh, by October, it's 20 below. By November, it's 40 below. And it doesn't get warm, you know, until March, April, like that. So that's not a good time to go to Alaska, just when it's going to freeze in. Because you've got to really know how to, how to deal with that cold. You know, so good place to experience Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a good place to go to experience works of God. That's for sure. <laughs> Snowstorms and so, uh, yeah. So anyway, is he still going to go? Do you know? He's planning on it. Yeah. Maybe he'll go in April. I told him to wait. I feel, I feel better if he waited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if he goes up in April, he can, uh, lots of people, the, the tourist business opens up and the hotels own, are open, but they close for the winter. Alaska closes, you know, September, by the end of September, Alaska's closed. The hotels and everything, and, except for a very, very few, like in the big cities, but, uh, and most of that shut down, but then... Uh, they'll start hiring. So they get a lot of people, a big influx of people from uh, what they refer to as the lower 48, you know, us down here. And a lot of Russians, a lot of Russians come over and they get these summer jobs and they work and um, they stay up there until September and then it's out of there. I mean, it's so cold even the Russians don't want to stay there in the wintertime. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad to meet you. 
What's your name? Marsha. Marsha. Well, when I see him, I'm telling him I met his mother. That's great. Are you two related? Yeah. We're friends. His friends? Well, I'm so glad you came. Yeah, you've got a great son. Thank you. Aaron called me and invited me. Wow. <laughs> you've got a good friend there, Aaron. So I think we should probably uh, wrap it up, huh? Does everybody have an appetite? Let's go eat some sanctified food. All glories to Shiva Prabhupada. Yeah.